0: It's a recent picture, probably from a digital camera, or maybe even taken on a smartphone. The setting is simple, taken late afternoon, with the bright sky in the background and the green of a ranch pasture beneath the blue. In the foreground, centered on the photo, is a smiling, good-natured fella in jeans and a t-shirt. He's in front of a small bonfire, the kind made up of brush and large tree limbs burning behind him, flames curling up around the edges and flaring off into the background. A wooden structure, probably a shed, is behind the fire, I would guess about a 150 feet away. Beyond that is farmland, with a house in the distance off to the left. Though the photographer was focused on the happy subject near, he still managed to frame the gentleman's companion, who was waiting on horseback, in the background. Now the picture isn't professional and it was only staged in that someone must have told the happy gentleman to turn and smile before they took the photo. Except for one thing. The photographer was only taking a picture of one person that day. The rider on horseback was not there when the photo was taken. In fact, at the time, there had been no horses or livestock on the property for over two decades. The photograph, it seems, revealed a presence— that we cannot see with our own eyes. At least, that's what I hear. Sometimes, our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influence the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theorology. On this episode, episode 8, Ghost Photography, we will discuss the history of ghost photography dating back to the mid-19th century. What was going on those early days of still photography that made people so willing to embrace the spooky possibility of spirit photos? How can neuroscience explain the prolific scrapbook of photographic evidence, and are we really just hardwired to see ghosts? After the break, we will peer through the lens of photographic history and try to bring focus to the theory of ghost photography. Howdy, Alright, let's talk ghost photography. Also referred to often as paranormal or spirit photography, this is the phenomenon of apparitions appearing in, in photographs, though not seen at the time of the photo being taken, either by the photographer or the subjects in the photo. The theory behind this phenomenon is generally thought to be due to the environmental impact of the ghostly apparition, This has been attributed to radiation, ionization, or non-visible light spectrum that affects the film, or photo plates, chemically, which is then realized upon the development of the film. The actual practice of attempting to capture ghosts on film dates back nearly a century uh, and a half uh, to around 1861, it's it's no surprise that this type of photography has been controversial and the subject of much debate ever since. And to be clear, I'm talking about human-like apparitions. We're not going to get into orbs, light anomalies, energy streaks, or auras. I, I personally don't put much stock in those examples, and, and those are not the photos that capture our imaginations, um, and nor can we truly evaluate them, As seeing a specific object, Uh, whether they reflect something physical or not, uh, we're sticking to those sort of images and and pictures that that, uh, look human. Now, before delving into the background of this phenomenon, let me expound upon the photo discussed in the intro, because it's a perfect example of our discussion. I came across the photo posted in in a Facebook uh, feed recently, and it intrigued me so much that I reached out to the owner to find out a bit more of the story behind the photo. The owner of this photograph, Marissa, was wonderfully friendly and willing to share her story. The subject of the photo is her father, taken just a few years ago at her graduation party. The party was held at the family home, which has been in the family since the 1930s, when it was purchased by her great-grandparents. Now, little is known of the property's history and its previous ownership, but her great-grandparents raised horses, pigs, and chickens on the property until the 1980s, when age prohibited their ability to uh, take care of the, the animals. After their passing... Her grandparents acquired the property, and and now her mother lives in the home, which now shares four generations of family history. I thought that was pretty cool. The photo resurfaced just last year, uh, after her father's death, as a collection of photographs were compiled for the memorial service. It was after this that it, it circulated, and someone finally noticed the odd addition to the photo, which had not been previously seen. In the Facebook posting board where I discovered the photo, most people identified the figure of the horse and rider, along with some noting images such as a face or a small figure within the fire itself. Now let's get into uh, a bit of the background behind this ghostly spirit photography, the history of it when it started, and and where we've seen uh, a lot of... uh, both proponents and some criticisms on this over time. The origin of spirit photography is widely recognized to rest with a man named William Mumler, whose work in the 1860s caught the eye of both believers and skeptics, and brought the phenomenon of capturing ghostly apparitions on film into the public consciousness. One of the more famous photos produced by Mumler is that of Mary Todd Lincoln, with the ghostly apparition of her late husband, President Abraham Lincoln, standing behind her, his nearly transparent hands resting on her shoulders. At first, with skeptics unable to identify his early work as fake, Mumler quickly moved from amateur enthusiast to professional photographer, developing a successful business capturing images of loved ones lost during the American Civil War. Eventually, though, with the support of such critics as P.T. Barnum against him, he was brought to trial on charges of fraud. Though he was acquitted, his practice could not recover from the allegations, and his career as a spirit photographer was pretty much over. Now, this was only the beginning of a rather successful industry, as others built upon Mumler's techniques, Remember, this was a time of chemically treated glass plates with long exposure times and relatively new and developing techniques for treating and processing of the negatives. Despite the accusations of fraud, which haunted the practice of spirit photography, the interest and in popularity continued to grow with the public. By the late 1800s, the camera was quickly becoming so readily available that many begin to practice photography, and, and either through experimentation or lucky accident, ghostly photos continued to surface. Now, jumping ahead by World War I, with spiritualism gaining popularity, spirit photography was in full swing, with avid support s- such as uh, coming from uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A-, a-, a well-known example during this period was an experienced English photographer, named William Hope hope was more than willing to offer his services to a voracious population that wanted to connect with loved ones whom they had lost in the war in 1922 an investigation attempted to expose hope's work and prove the practice exposing two plates at the same time one of which already was holding a previous image double exposing Uh, the image and generating the ghostly apparition. Now, unlike Mumler, William Hope's career didn't end with the investigation, and he continued to practice as both a medium and a spirit photographer. Now, this may sound as though the entire history of ghostly photography is hoax, forgery, and charlatans, but this isn't the case there are some notable photos that seem to defy the typical skepticism and remain intriguing. Photos such as the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall, which was taken in 1936, the Tulip Staircase Ghost, taken in 1966, and the Phantom Monk of Newby, that was taken in 1963. Now. I'm skimming over all of these. It wouldn't do any justice to them for me to try and des- describe these photos if you're unfamiliar. But I have a link along with a, a more expansive uh, history on this spirit photography down in the show notes. So absolutely dig in and give those a try. Now, today's photography is much different. Uh, you know, treated gas- glass plates gave way to film which has mostly been replaced by digital photography, uh, along with the ability to easily alter images. Uh, paranormal investigation and ghost hunting has readily adopted even more advanced technology using thermal imaging and full-spectrum c- cameras that, of course, utilize non-visible areas of the light spectrum to, uh, in theory, capture uh other things and entities that, uh, that we wouldn't be able to see with the naked eye. So that's really a brief history. And like I said, I covered very little. Uh, I just wanted you to have a feel for the, um, uh, the background and and the history, the beginnings of this process. Um, of course there's, there are, there's tons out there and and I did, I I probably put an overabundance of, of links in the, uh, down in the show notes, so absolutely uh, check those out. One, it's just fun to look at ghost photos, and two, it's it's actually a really interesting history. Uh, whether you're a photography fan, uh, a ghost hunting fan, or you just find uh, find this evolution of of this historical uh, event interesting, so now let's let's move into the, our theoryology discussion. You know, let's try and delve into why this is fascinating. You know, as usual, we aren't here to debunk or disparage the phenomenon of, of ghost photography. You know, while the practice is largely dismissed as unreliable in general, the use of photography to capture paranormal and spiritual images has not been abandoned whole cloth. I mean, what is more interesting is that regardless of where we fall in our opinion of the phenomenon, either on the side of undeniable proof or the opposite end of the spectrum you know dismissing all examples as doctored staged or misinterpreted photos you know the fact is we all love to see a good ghost photo i mean raise your hand if you find yourself searching for the ghost when you come across a photo posted on social media or on the web except for those of you driving safety first people 10 and 2 No, no, the truth is we all see something when we look for an image. And and I'm not just talking about the obviously doctored photos. This fascination was present at the very beginning. I mean, people were quick to embrace the possibility and validity of these types of photos as soon as they were first being introduced. But why? I mean, it would make more sense to believe that the public would be wary of a relatively new technology in the mid-19th century. But this isn't the case at all. I mean, in fact, from the mid-1800s through to the early 20th century, the explosion of technology, the Industrial Revolution, and the expanse of populations, communication, and information, all of this fed a need for new and different. I mean, and, and likewise, in addition to the enthusiasm for all advancements technological, uh, and almost in contrast, there was a wave of, of spiritualism uh, going on and, and an interest in mysticism. So this fascination, along with the rise of, of, of uh, mediums and mystics uh, and this embracing of the esoteric, uh, of course, uh, fed the interest in, in capturing these things, these otherwise unseen entities and presence on camera. Now, I mean, this explains the the fervor and the fascination around those early photos of the era, and why people were so quick to accept the plausibility of what we now know to be blatant hoax. But photos are different today. I mean, most photos are taken candidly by amateurs with point-and-shoot digital cameras or smartphones. They don't take pictures looking for ghosts. Many apparitions, in fact, aren't even seen until an extended period goes by and the photo is finally revisited. Well, there's a very interesting psychological occurrence to consider. Pareidolia Now, simply put, according to Merriam-Webster, pareidolia is the tendency to perceive a specific, often meaningful image in a random or ambiguous visual pattern. Now, I've put a stack of links in the show notes for further reading on this phenomenon as well. So, I'm just going to boil it down in this episode so that I don't have to say peridolia too many times. And forgive me as I say it over and over and uh, sound funnier and funnier saying it. See, when you see a bunny rabbit in a cloud formation, or the grumpy old man frowning at you from the twisted bark of an old tree trunk, or even the smiling face on the front of your car as the bumper becomes a wide grin beneath the headlights. You've experienced pareidolia. See, it's most widely accepted as a peculiar but entirely natural function of the human brain that causes us to impose patterns on random collections of images and sounds. Pareidolia is actually an ancient ability that may have helped us survive in a far distant past when we needed to be able to pick out hidden dangers in the landscape. Psychologists exploit this phenomenon through tests, like the the Rorschach inkblots, where the shapes seen in random ink splatters are thought to reveal insights into a subject's subconscious. Artists also even play with pareidolia, creating images that can be seen in various ways. An example that uh, I came across is, uh, is Georgia O'Keeffe's flowering paintings. Uh, and those are a great example of, well, you know, I'll let you look those up for yourself, uh, and you can determine what you see there in her flower paintings. So, pareidolia gives a possible explanation for making sense, uh, potentially, of random and coincidental shapes in the undoctored and less questionable ghost photos. But why the immediate jump to a spirit? Why not just, hey, I didn't see that bunny rabbit when I took the photo? Well, pareidolia works best when paired with another psychological phenomenon known as the feeling of presence or the sensed presence effect. See, mountain climbers under extreme conditions, high altitude, have been known to sense an additional climber that's just out of eyeshot and always keeping pace with them on their extreme climbs. Uh, Even another example, Charles Lindbergh famously sensed a presence during his transatlantic flight to Paris. See, this feeling of presence is still being understood, but It's attributed to physical stresses, such as isolation, oxygen and sleep deprivation, exhaustion, and high emotional stress, such as fright, guilt, and loss. When these phenomena work together and in tandem, a photo taken during some heightened experience, such as at a haunted location or at a family event, When reviewed, can trigger those same emotions and bring about a a sensed presence effect. And the viewer feels someone there, close and familiar. Then, sees a shape or face in a random object such as fog, fire, or a light reflection, and they see what they feel. A familiar presence. A ghost. So, before we summarize that, let's recap. We have two phenomenon that explain how we are hardwired to to uh, both feel presence under extreme conditions, and then also how we how we visually make sense of random patterns. Now when those are put together, they make for some very interesting outcomes on a otherwise innocuous activity such as looking at old photos. But let's put this to the endurance test. You know, let's ask the questions. How long has it already been around? Uh, since the beginning of photography. I mean, with examples both obviously fake and potentially real appearing since the mid 1800s has it had a large influence in popular culture and media um yeah i mean we love us some ghosts we take pictures of every dark spooky corner and abandoned building window in hopes of capturing something books movies social media radio ghostly photos are everywhere Is it still relevant today? I think that's a given. It has evolved, sure, but ultimately it still amounts to us finding something we didn't expect to see in a simple photo. And now we have thousands of photos on our phones and cameras, rather than the limited amount on a roll of film, or the single-plate, long-exposure shots from which it all started. And finally, will it continue to capture public imagination going forward? Ah, Most undoubtedly, as the technology presses onward, we have cameras that capture even more unfamiliar imagery to our naked eye. See, thermal photos and full-spectrum cameras mean more strange and unfamiliar photos from which to glean an unseen presence. Okay, so we've gone down a very skeptical bent in this discussion. And, and not unwarranted, as, as the early days of ghost photography really tarnished the practice indefinitely. Most photos that seem to have been taken intentionally to capture an apparition are doubted or dismissed outright as hoax. And now, with our understanding that we're wired to make sense of the randomness around us, it's hard not to also question the more well-intentioned photos taken at family reunions, landmark tours, vacation activities, and other spontaneous events. Yet, when I look at that photo of Marissa's dad, I know I should explain everything. You know, the fire generates random shapes and colorations in a photo. And her father passed away recently, which should elicit an emotional response from any decent person. This is family land, and, and Marissa is a believer and always heard footsteps growing up and felt as though she was being watched. I mean, this is all textbook, isn't it? I mean, that's that's why everything leads up to seeing this image, if you know all of this stuff. Well, I know all this, but, but you know, when I saw the photo the first time, I didn't know any of this. It was just a guy in a photo with a fire in the background, and I saw it. I saw that horse, and it sure looks like there's a rider on top. And after hearing her story, well, it still looks like there's someone there to me. But, you know, maybe I'm just wired that way. Okay, well that's all for today. Thank you to Marissa for sharing her story and letting me use it as a discussion piece for this episode. And thank you, the listeners, so much for joining me. You know, if you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email at contact at com. Like the show at facebook.com slash Podcast. Find me on Twitter at Pod, or just recommend the show to others. There is no higher compliment than to know that you have shared the show with others. All the info can be found at the show website ConspiracyTheorology.com including how to support the show on the new patron page. Music is by Adam Henry Garcia and if you'd like to hear more of Adam's music visit AdamHenryGarcia.BandCamp.com well, I'll see you all again in two weeks when we tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. Until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.